Romans 5, verses 1 to 11. Peace and joy. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May the Lord bless this word. Uh, I've already had somebody ask if I'm preaching from Leviticus tonight, so I had to disappoint them, maybe in August. I know there's a couple of people here who, when they read Leviticus, automatically think of me, and because I think of Leviticus as a book of joy, they obviously think of me when they think of joy. Isn't that true, Mary? So with that said, please do open your Bibles to Romans 5, chapter 1, on page 1132. And I'll open with prayer for myself. Father, thank you for this, your written word. Thank you that it reveals your living word, Jesus Christ. And we, uh, we pray now as we come to open this up, that you would speak to us. And that we would know when we leave here, that we have not only met with each other, but that we have met with you, the living God. And all of God's people said, Amen. And here in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is logically stating his case about God and humanity. Very briefly, in Romans chapters 1 to 3, Paul highlights humanity's separation from God. What can be done about that? The answer to that comes in Romans chapter 4 when Paul declares that God has provided the very means for people to be justified, that is, to be declared right before him. And as a Christian, you are blessed. No, there we go, we'll get there eventually. There we go. And our first blessing is this. Paul's argument is that people can be in a dynamic relationship with God, no longer separated from God, and it is by faith alone, 
in God that is the key to having been justified by God. It is by faith in God alone as to how people can be justified or made right before God and to be able to stand in his presence. That is Paul's argument. And being justified means the removal of guilt and the penalty of sin from the person while at the same time being declared by God as being right. How is that done? Well, we come to that shortly. People choose to be in a relationship with God. They can avail themselves of it, as many have done, or they can simply ignore it, as many others do. God does not force, but God does compel. Love never forces, but it does compel, it does urge, and it does encourage. And you, if you are a Christian, have taken up that offer. Awesome. Excellent. Any other Americanisms that you can think of? Wow. Now you're in a relationship with God. Good. So what? Let's get on. And our first blessing that Paul elucidates here is this one. We have peace with God. Let's read that verse together. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where Paul is with his argument. Shush. Paul now goes on to explain the blessings or consequences for those who have taken up this free offer of being justified by faith. And the result of being declared justified by God is that the Christian is at peace with God. No longer enemies with God, but friends and beloved children. Peace with God is the fruit of accepting God's work of justification. How is this peace achieved? Peace with God is through God the Son, Jesus Christ alone. It's not by anything a person can do, but only by the work of God through Jesus Christ alone. And what is peace? Peace is the wholeness of well-being, the total absence of conflict, turmoil, dread or terror. Peace with God is a state of being in harmony with God. Does that describe your relationship with him? Total harmony. And the end of peace occurred when humanity originally broke the relationship with God. God is a God of peace. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the peace between God and humanity. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 2. And you've heard me preach on that a few years ago. So think of this as a continuation of the series. And as Christians, we have the gift of peace with the God of peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Peace with God is our first blessing here resulting from being justified by God, declared right by God, and at peace with God. Peace with God takes care of the past. He no longer holds our sins and wrongdoing against us because he has justified us and made us right before him. Have you availed yourself of the opportunity? Because if you haven't, please do not leave here without asking somebody about how you can. In fact, I know Chris and Sue would love to talk to you after. Chris and Sue are the people who led the prayers, in case you are not aware. 
We go on to number two. Let's read this together. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And the result of having peace with God, we've gained access. Now, while it is true that as Christians we do have access to God because we are his children, that is not the type of access that Paul is talking about here. What of grace? Grace is God's unmerited favour. But Paul here doesn't mean grace as being a feature, but rather that we are standing in grace, having been positioned in grace. Grace as a state of being. And the access Paul talks about here is access into a state of God's unmerited favour. An introduction, if you like, which is the state of being accepted by God through a work of God alone. It's not by anything that we can do, but only a work of God that we are introduced to grace and allowing this grace to kiss us, touch us, saturate us, permeate every facet of our lives. And we're able, therefore, to stand in it under it and upon it. Does that explain your experience of grace? It should do. And we stand in this position of grace before God rather than shrinking away in terror, dread or fear. We stand in grace because of grace. And how do we stand in grace? It's not in our own power, but again a work of God. Jesus Christ. As a Christian, you are permanently able to avail yourself of God because of Jesus Christ. We don't slip in and out of access to grace. It's a permanent blessing, is this. It's both an introduction and a constant state of being. We are to revel in this state of being, enjoy it, tell others about it, and show it to others. Is that your experience of grace? We are in a dynamic relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. So how is your relationship with God the Father? Do you have one? Have you really met his son Jesus? It's still not too late if you haven't. And what's the result of the being in this state of grace, this state of justification? We have a glorious hope. The last part of verse 2. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. A glorious hope takes care of our future. All Christians will one day share in God's glory. If that doesn't make you go well, nothing will. What's the word? At least one person, I guess. It's you and me then, Bruce. With the glory, revel and boast about it both as individuals and as a church. It's not a vague hope such as hoping the fickle English weather will bring us sunshine and 40 degrees tomorrow. Rather, it's an assured and confident hope. But a hope in what? Or rather, who? It's an assured hope in the glory of God. This confidence, this hope, yet again is in God himself, not in anything that we can do ourselves not in anything but the amazing and wondrous work of his Son, Jesus Christ. He is our hope and our certainty. We have a glorious future ahead of us. 
Do you believe it? You can look as if you believe it. Our hope is to be like Jesus in every facet of our life. Letting him permeate everything. Jesus was and is the outshining of God's glory. We are to put conf- putting confidence in anything else is temporary, weak, unfulfilling, conceited, and ultimately a failure. But hope in the glory of God is wondrous, joyful, fulfilling, strong, confident, eternal, and bold. Who or what is your hope in tonight? If it is in anything else but in God and his glory, then you still have time to change your mind and your heart. Change the focus of your hope to the glory of God and away from all those other things that seek to derail, decay and destroy. One such person who has made peace with God is Stephen. And I invite him up here now to tell us briefly his story. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, when I was 15, um, my mother passed away. Um, I just, I, I rebelled against God and blamed it on God. Become, became violently hateful um, and just went about inflicting suffering on creation. On, I used to torture animals and violently lash out at people. I was... I fell to drug addiction on numerous occasions, to, to alcoholism. I was once imprisoned for nearly murdering a man. Uh, my life just consisted of bitterness and emptiness. Sorry. I, I, I didn't have any hope, anything. To me, I hated myself and I hated everything and everyone around me. There was just nothing worth living for. I, I tried to end my life on numerous occasions. I spent time in psychiatric hospitals, um, numerous drug overdoses, uh, and for years my life was just like that. Um, I, I used to try and find identity in music, and I used to listen to very violent, devil-worshipping music and stuff. And I don't know. Well, one day I I, I heard a song called Redemption, and it was just singing about God. I didn't really think about it too much, and I don't know, just, I started to think about God a bit more, and um, one morning, I I opened the Bible to try and read it, and found myself in tears, and just fell to my knees and cried out to God. And now it's just changed, because I have no hate in my heart. It's just a beautiful love for every person in this world. I... I can't hate anyone, and I know that sin is a rife in this world, and it brings so much sorrow and chaos and hurt, but the only way I can show people Jesus Christ in this world is through his love, and that's where I find peace and joy, is through the, through the, the cross, through what he took on Calvary, through the, through the wickedness. You know, I, I, I'm no good man, I, I, I'm a wretched man, I'm an evil sinner, but this man gave everything for me, gave everything for us, and there's great hope in what I have found, and I think anyone can find it if they haven't found it. Sorry, thank you. Thanks, Steve. God can change lives. Is that your experience? 
Does it make you go, well, now? That's better. Thanks, brother. Our next blessing. Paul continues. Let's read it together. Not only so, but let us also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance in character, and character hope. Being justified before God is no escape from the sufferings and trials of this world, as Steve experienced and explained. But for the believer, suffering and trials are for our own good. And Paul elucidates that further in Romans chapter 8. Again, I've preached on that here, probably a long time ago. We do bring these trials, etc., upon ourselves by our own foolishness and our own sin. We also have them thrust upon us due to the foolishness of others and their own sin. This suffering develops perseverance. Perseverance grows our character. And through character we have a glorious hope. But why do we glory in our sufferings? Because as Paul says, it produces perseverance. Particularly when as a church it has to endure persecution. Paul often links trials and tribulations with being persecuted for the faith. Just as it was in the time of his writing, only to become systematic persecution not much longer after writing it, so it is today for a large part of the church. We've already prayed for them, and we will pray for them later. But what is our response to sufferings, trials, tribulations and persecutions? Paul says the Christian is to glory in them. Paul does say some odd things, doesn't he? Does it mean we're to be like the Monty Python sketch where those being crucified were all singing, always look on the bright side of life? Does it mean stoically enduring them? No. It's not to glory in them as some form of masochistic pleasure. It is, however, an acceptance and trust in God that there is some form of rationale behind it. Remember for Jesus that suffering to him was the path to glory. And we as Christians have a God who knows all about suffering because he himself has suffered. So as Christians, both individually and as a body, we are to persevere. To persevere is to persist and endure. It's developing patience and staying power. To hold on courageously to God. We're to hang on to God through those trials and tribulations. Perseverance also requires resistance to opposition. Persecution for being a Christian is part of being a Christian. Not so much in this country, but again for millions of our brothers and sisters around the world. Brothers and sisters who, unlike us, don't take for granted the opportunities to meet. Meeting often in secret and often in fear of retribution for doing so. How often do we take for granted the meeting together? I guess we do it at least once or twice a week, each of us, don't we? And this perseverance produces a mature character, ever changing into the glory of Jesus Christ and taking on his character. It's an ongoing work of perseverance and transformation. 
Let us be developing character of who we are because of Jesus and standing with him. And this character brings us back in the circle to hope. Part of having character is having hope. That is having a confident capacity to believe God and trust in him alone. And our next blessing is that we have God's love within us. Again, let's read this together. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Perseverance has developed character. Character has produced hope. What does hope produce? This hope we have in God never betrays us regardless of what we are going through for following God. This hope is assured because God loves us. God loves you, 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 and God even loves me. Sometimes I have to ask him why. And that's why we are justified by God standing in grace, standing in relationship with him, and we are able to persevere and develop character. Our hope in God alone will never let us down, because God will not let the believer down. Other believers may let us down, and they often do, but God never does. Amazing. God, as a loving father, has the best interests of the Christian in mind. God's love has been poured into the heart for all those who have taken up his offer to be justified before him and declared right before him. Again, is that you? And how was this amazing love exhibited? It was ultimately exhibited and shown in the death of Christ. When the Christ died, it was for all of humanity that he did so. Who was this Christ? Nobody else was able to do it. So God entered human history in the person of Jesus. It is he who is the Christ. It is he who is the one who is able. Why did he do that? So that humanity could choose to be in a right relationship with God once more and be declared right before him and able to stand justified, immersed in grace because of what God the Son, Jesus Christ, did on the cross. And why was it the right time? It was the right point in time according to the wisdom of God. It was a time for God to rescue humanity from its self-destructive path of godlessness. Our innate human nature is that our love, affection, affectation, generosity and gifts are usually only given to those whom we deem worthy of receiving such glorious things, isn't it? Particularly our own selves. But you know what? God shows a new way for us to show love. Jesus showed love when he died for those who were deemed unworthy of receiving the benefits of being justified by God. 
Jesus died for all those who were and are in opposition to God. That is, all those who are worthy and are unworthy. The just one, Jesus, died for the unjust ones, humanity. Why? So that they may be made right before God and will be able to stand justified before him and declared as such. Wow. And number six, we have the Holy Spirit. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of God is poured into our hearts. We experience peace, joy, love, just as Stephen did. The inner experience of this love is through God the Holy Spirit. It is He who sustains us as we go through these sufferings, trials and tribulations. Faith, hope and love all combine to give those who love God the patience to persevere in and endure the trials of life. How is that love poured in? It is poured in through God the Holy Spirit who lives within us. All Christians are born of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside each Christian through the Holy Spirit. This indwelling Spirit is assured proof of the Christian, or to the Christian, of God's love and of that Christian being God's possession. Almighty God lives within you. This Holy Spirit guarantees salvation and inheritance. And having this assurance and remembering these things helps overcome the problems we have with overcoming doubt of our assurance of salvation and acceptance before God. The Holy Spirit living within us is an exhibition of God's love. And the Holy Spirit is a seal of our hope of salvation. How does the Holy Spirit come in? For some people it's an exuberant experience. And for some of us it's just a quiet entrance. But however he comes in, he comes in. I've had people say that they've been hurt because their uh, experience of the Holy Spirit wasn't something exuberant. What a load of rubbish. That's what I told them anyway. But that could be me just being Australian. You know what? We easily forget that the Holy Spirit is living within us, don't we? Or am I the only person who has that kind of memory problem? We struggle along in our own strength. We grow weak, tired and without strength as we face trials, troubles and temptations. We struggle along against our enemies, our old nature, the world and Satan. Overcoming temptations and living right lives which are glorying to God are much easier when we avail ourselves of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. God, Father, Son and Spirit are all active parts of this act of justification. The Son saves, the Spirit seals and the Father sanctifies or cleanses. God is love and the work of salvation is an act of love. The God we serve as Christians oozes love and this God commands us to actively love others so that he will be seen. By showing love, 
we reflect God. God's love is exhibited towards you. Again, have you accepted it? And are you exhibiting it? We're almost there, fear not. Number seven, let's read this together. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We need strength to endure suffering and persecution, remembering that he who stands firm in faith will in the end be saved. What are Christians saved from? According to Paul, it's God's wrath. Just as God has and exhibits love, he also has wrath and anger, or anger, towards sin. And when we picture wrath, it's usually of an uncontrollable rage or a temper tantrum, flash temper. But God's wrath does not portray the human weaknesses or vindictiveness or an uncontrolled fit of anger. We can dismiss such ideas, since due to his forbearance and patience, God's anger and judgment have been smouldering since the first rebellion. God's wrath invokes justice, according to Romans chapter 2. And how is God's wrath appeased, according to Paul? Through the death of Jesus, his son. That's the work of justification. And what is the result of being saved from God's wrath? We are reconciled to him and we will remain reconciled to him. We are saved and we will be saved. Paul is looking again to that final day. We share in Jesus' death and resurrection now and one day we will share in it on that final day. Are you looking forward to it? Are you expecting it? Can't come soon enough for me some days, I tell you. And then I forget it. Sisters and brothers, the best is yet to come, isn't it? That final glorious day when human history is complete and Jesus returns to bring us to himself. You're expecting it, right? So are you willing to do all you can in order to follow this Jesus? Because that's what you are to do. You are to take up your own cross, just as Jesus took up his. And our last blessing you will be pleased to know is number eight. And that's in Romans 5 verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And this word reconciliation means a bringing together. It means we have fellowship with God. We are in relationship with him. In the beginning, people declared war on God and deserved eternal condemnation by God. However, God in his love and his mercy and his goodness sent his son Jesus as a peacemaker that people may return to fellowship with him to be reconciled to him. And we are to rejoice in our present enjoyment of reconciliation with God. And rejoice 
that all this comes through Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And we're to boast in God. We're to rejoice in God. But not for our own benefits. We're to do this to glorify God and worship Him alone. We have no specific right to claim God, yet because He has claimed us, we can claim God as our own. Again, that's another wow. We're to glorify God, not for our own benefit, but because God alone is worthy. That is worship, brothers and sisters. Sorry, I'm getting American. I'll calm down. I was like that in um, when I was in Mississippi. We glorify God because we share in God's glory. We share sufferings with a God who suffered and lastly we glorify in God simply because He is God. We worship God because He alone is worthy and the God of reconciliation demands that those who claim to follow Him would also worship him abundantly in all facets of life. Wow. Well, we were going to have another song now, but I shall continue and then we'll have that song after, shall we? So let's now recapitulate and then conclude. Of course, there is a difference, you know. Remember your blessings because you are justified by faith in Christ alone. Here they are. Let's read them out, shall we? One, we have peace with God. Two, we have access into God's grace. Three, we have a glorious hope. Four, we develop godly character. Five, six, seven, eight. So what? What are we to do with these blessings? Well, firstly, we can remember them as we engage in spiritual warfare and overcome temptation by our old nature, by the world and by Satan. They're our enemies, aren't they? And when we're faced with these, we remember the blessings we have because we are in a relationship with God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God despite what the world says and despite what Satan whispers to us in the, in the, in the dark times. We, if we are Christians, are fully justified by Almighty God and we are His children. And we're to take great joy in our God. That doesn't mean going around with a big silly grin on our faces, because that just wouldn't be English, would it? And joy, as I said before when we were talking about Leviticus, is an inner confidence of knowing that you are God's treasured possession and He is yours. That is joy. And when somebody we know who is a Christian in our fellowship isn't feeling the joy, we as a body are to help encourage and build up that person. Not stomp on their head when they're down, as it sometimes happens. The strongest amongst us is to help the weakest amongst us. That is an act of worship. As a community of God's people here, we should be making a positive impact for God in our community. People should be able to see why are we so different and want to join us. Being assured of God's love 
should inspire us to reflect that love to all those we come into contact with, exhibiting our transformed character before a watching world. And I know they're watching because they tell me that they are watching. The number of times I've had said that Christianity is just a load of old rubbish. All you Christians are just hypocrites. I don't do church, because church is just a bunch of hypocrites, isn't it? To which I normally reply, well, come along then, because you'll be joining them. But perhaps I can get away with it, because I'm Australian. And being assured of God's love for us should spur us on to tell others about this wonder, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? So, okay, then when was the last time you told somebody to come up the hill on a Sunday? Or told them about this gospel? Here in chapter 5, you may have noticed that Paul uses we, our, us, and not I, or you, and me. Whereas in the earlier chapters, he has mixed them up. This reflects the unity of the church. Each person makes an individual commitment to God, but then is drawn into the wider group of all Christians. Each person here is loved by God, and if you have taken up that offer from God, then you are in a relationship with the other people who have done likewise. Whether you want to be or not, you are family with that person that you can't get on with, including me. The world out there, as I said, is watching how we act towards each other. Don't kid yourselves that they're not. They are. Do they see us being over-generous? reflecting an abundantly generous God who gave all that he had to those who were undeserving? Or do we exhibit our love only to those whom we respect, esteem and think deserve our generosity, hiding under the banner of good stewardship? Because that's what happens. I can't keep to that. That would be bad stewardship. They may waste it. I've heard it. And when God loves, he gives generously to those who are undeserving. Jesus always had time for the outcast of his society. Do you? Or you just metaphorically kick them as you go past? Sue's having an experience of the Spirit. Jesus always had time for the outcasts. That is grace. And we as Christians are saturated standing in grace. We are to exhibit it. When we Christians give anything, money, possessions, wisdom, time, we are to emulate that love to the undeserving, giving generously, even to those who we think will waste it and be undeserving of it. And we all neglect to give to people who we think don't deserve it. How is your giving and loving? What do you need to change? Finally, 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 again, for those who would not call themselves Christian, please do talk to somebody here for more information about it. Chris and Sue would love to see you. They may even hug you. This may be your last opportunity. You don't know. I don't know. If you want to turn to God, there's no need to delay. He is ready and willing to take you as his own right now. Just as he has done 
for most of us here in the past. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. Father, forgive us when we don't reflect that love to other people. Father, we want to be a a light on the hill to this community. Forgive us for when we have failed to do that. Father, be with the leaders here that they may show us how to do this in our community. Help us as your as your your people, standing in grace, kissed, saturated, baptized in grace, to reflect your love to this community, undeserving as they are. May people know you through the love that we exhibit to others. We pray this, Father through the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And all of God's people said, Amen.